I think that it's also an exciting time because a lot of the diversity and inclusion topics are really coming to the forefront of discussions. And it's really heartening to see so many organizations taking that seriously and, and putting policies in place. And, you know, women from all backgrounds need to not only have a seat at the table, but also need to have their voice heard. You know, in terms of just scientific creativity, considering opposing views has actually been proven to lead to more breakthroughs. I think there's a few studies about this, actually. Welcome to another episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. I'm your host, Madhavi Shankarling, and on today's show, I sat down with Shannon Katcher, who is the Executive Director of Digitization and Data at GTI, a leading research, development, and training organization for the energy industry based in Chicago. Shannon shares how her curiosity led her to study science, how she found her calling when working with technology and geographic information systems, or GIS, and why she believes the utility and energy sector is increasingly ready to adopt digital transformations. We talk about diversity of thought and how important this is to innovation, the role of data and digitization in a low-carbon future, and Shannon shares how sometimes it is appropriate to say no to an opportunity. I really enjoyed talking with Shannon, and I hope you enjoy this episode too. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Shannon. I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you today and finding out about all the work you do at GTI. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to uh, this discussion. Great. And um, if you could please tell me a little bit about the organization that you work for. Absolutely. Um, GTI is a nonprofit research and development organization. Uh, and we focus on energy and environmental challenges, especially to enable a secure, abundant, and affordable energy future. Um, so for almost 80 years, we've been providing value to energy markets by developing technology-based solutions for industry, government, and consumers as well. Um, we typically leverage our deep technical expertise and experience across the entire energy system from you know, how it's made, how it's moved, how it's used. Then um, that includes things like biofuels, hydrogen, solar energy, power production, carbon capture, and all the related uh, efforts. So uh, we, we like to envision a carbon managed future in which integrated energy systems leverage low carbon or carbon neutral gases, fuels, and infrastructure, um, especially in light of uh, 2030 and 2050 um, commitments to uh, deep decarbonization. Okay, wow. And so what is your role in that organization? Currently, my role is the executive director of digitalization and data. So uh, I focus on developing the strategic approach to digital transformation. Um, I typically pursue and direct various research efforts, um, different product and service developments, and also investment initiatives in the data services and analytics space, uh, particularly with a focus on energy systems transitions. Uh, but before I had this role, I led the Smart Utilities Program, and I managed a team of technical professionals that analyzed you know, complex data systems um, and developed cutting edge technology solutions. So over time, I've developed this deep knowledge of connecting industry operational experiences and needs with uh, our variety of research programs. 
Okay, wow. And so would you mind unpacking that for me a little bit and maybe giving me some examples of some of the research that's currently being undertaken uh, by GTI or maybe some of the solutions that GTI has developed for industry, government or consumers recently? Absolutely. I think some of the most exciting things that we're working on um, has to do with uh, especially energy systems transitions. And a lot of that is incorporating our expertise in in using hydrogen. And so that traces back to all of our efforts in infrastructure and using our vast infrastructure resources, um, you know, to put forward a a better, more decarbonized future. So, you know, we don't want to just abandon all this work that we've done and all this investment that we've made to store, move, um, and, and consume our current energy. Uh, but we don't, we also don't want to continue to, you know, release carbon into the atmosphere. So, um, how can we leverage the current infrastructure that we have, but also, you know, try to decarbonize and meet those decarbonization goals. So some of the things that we have going on at GTI are really exciting, um, related to testing how, hydrogen blends might work in our existing infrastructure and how we might also use the the current end-use equipment that we have in our homes already. Um, How is that going to be affected by different blends or even if we go to 100% hydrogen? So we're doing a lot of work in that space. Um, And then what I'm most excited about is looking at the the data and analytics side and how we can run a lot of simulations to understand Um, our energy systems are very complex. So how can we better understand what's going on before we start to take some of these initiatives? So maybe before we start to make these these blends and put them into our pipes, we can simulate what might happen uh, before we do that. So we have a lot of work um, developing different simulations, developing uh, new data sets and collecting the appropriate data in the field so that we can track and trace our assets and appropriately identify geospatially where they're located. So there's just a ton of stuff going on. It's a really exciting time to be in the energy industry. Um, and especially in the uh, data and analytics side of the business. Fantastic. And so you just touched on it there, and and I can see that you believe strongly that data and geospatial innovation is going to play an important role in reaching um, a low-carbon future. Would you be able to say anything more about your thoughts on this? Yes, absolutely. I I think it's going to be critically important that um, not only we know what we have as far as our infrastructure, but where specifically it's located. And there's a few reasons why that's important. Um, I think, you know, as we start to understand how different molecules moving through our pipelines will be affected, um, I I think that we have to know, of course, the materials that uh, we have, but also, you know, this stuff is out of sight and sometimes out of mind. So we have to really have a better understanding of where it's all located to be able to react in emergency response situations and also just be able to um, properly maintain the infrastructure that we already have. So I think, you know, regardless of what's moving through our infrastructure, we have to have a better understanding of where it's located with, you know, higher geospatial accuracy, and then also have a means by which we we can track and maintain that in our digital systems. So whether that's, 
you know, building a full digital twin of, of all of your assets, or if it's just better record keeping, um, there has to be a better way that we as a utility industry can, can track and maintain all of our assets and then be able to understand now that we know what's in the ground and where it is, um, how we can use that to our greatest advantage um, in the future. And so you must work very closely with industry to understand their experiences and their needs in developing these solutions. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. Um, we work very closely with, especially the our utility customers. Um, we have a really deep understanding of all of the issues that um, the utilities have to respond to, not only from a regulatory standpoint, but just as, um, you know, a customer relationship standpoint and being able to provide safe and secure service to their customers. So we have a unique opportunity as a research organization to try out new and innovative solutions that can help the utility customers uh, make more progress in delivering their products to their customers and also um, to, to be more proactive in uh, meeting regulations and being compliant. And beyond that, just excelling at the things that they do. I think uh, anybody that works in the utility industry knows how passionate um, they are about what they do, especially in the field. Um, so anything that we can do to help make uh, utility workers' lives easier, uh, that's really exciting for us. Mm. And so what are some of the challenges that you've come across in trying to implement some of these data and geospatial solutions with the utility and energy sector? There's there's a lot of challenges at any time that you're trying to make change, but I think especially um, with uh, the digital innovation and, you know, digital infrastructure, especially when you start bringing in terms like AI, um, people people start to think, what's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen um, to my skill set? Um, how am I going to grow and adapt? And I think that um, one of the biggest challenges is, first of all, helping um, everyone understand that AI isn't necessarily going to um, take your job away. It is going to change potentially how you you do your job, how you execute the work that, that you do. And this isn't just true for the utility industry. This is true for every industry. Um, I think there was, you know, I, I think uh, the World Economic Forum released a jobs report in October, and it said that it's expected that automations will definitely replace some jobs, but reskilling and upskilling of labor is a huge major component of how many organizations will keep current in their and keep their work, workforce engaged. So I think that it's really important for the, the workforce to understand in any industry that um, reskilling and upskilling is going to be a much bigger advantage. So um, giving the tools to your workers, uh, you know, human assets are really the greatest feature of any organization. And I think making sure that we can help our current workforce um, embrace some of this change and move fluidly into these new positions is going to be uh, really important. Maybe I went a little too deep with that, but, but I do think that in the utility industry, you know, there is a challenge in um, getting people to adopt 
the the digital tools that are available to them and also helping them understand how that'll help them operate in a safer, more efficient manner, um, both in the field and back in the office. Mm. And do you find that there's a resistance to what I imagine would be a long-term investment from um, utility players in, in adopting those technologies? Yes, I do. And I also think that that mindset is starting to change a little bit. Um, so I think that, you know, even just a couple years ago, a lot of the organizations that we worked with were having a really hard time understanding the investment that they would have to make with their, not only their digital infrastructure um, that was, you know, physical hardware, but also adopting things like working in the cloud and other sort of uncomfortable things that they weren't used to. But now um, I see a major tipping point that we've reached where utilities are starting to accept, not only accept some of these tools and technologies, but also embrace them. Because I think what they're starting to see is that the world is changing with or without them. So they sort of have this business imperative at this point where they need to um, either embrace what's going on or sort of be left behind. So I'm I'm starting to see this tipping point where people are much more open to uh, testing out new solutions, new technologies, and 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 seeing how that they can actually benefit from that as a business. We'll return to the conversation in just a moment. But if you're enjoying this podcast, there's a few simple things you can do to show your support. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Like this show or leave a comment letting me know your thoughts. And if you have any suggestions for topics or guests you'd like to hear from, please get in touch. My contact details are in the show notes. Thanks. And now back to the conversation. And so now I'd like to move on to a little bit more about your experience. What prompted you to go into the utility and energy sector in the first place? And what keeps you in this industry? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always been interested in um, science and engineering, and I think just um, the constant curiosity um, that I think people that like science have, that's kept me wanting to always find a way to explain things. So when I started, when I started, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. I (laughs) went to college, um, you know, just trying to take pretty much any class that I could. And I remember taking um, an astronomy class in my freshman year and being just stunned by the magnitude and complexity and our lack of understanding of the universe, really, Um, Mm -hmm. but also how we sort of relentlessly pursue more information and to try to find answers. And so that really wanted me, uh, it really helped me stick with uh, science. And I realized I had a true passion for uh, the climate. And so I, I decided that I wanted to major in atmospheric science, only <laughs> there wasn't an atmospheric science degree at my school at University of Illinois in Champaign at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found out was they had a program that you could sort of create your own major. So I did that. Um, and I graduated with an atmospheric science degree, which by my senior year, they had started developing the program because I wasn't the only one. So that was really exciting. I'm glad that they have that degree now. Um, 
But I did notice a lot about how um, having to take the engineering track at the time, I noticed that there were so few women in the science and engineering fields. And so that just made me sort of want to work harder. And um, I really stuck to it. And then after uh, grad school, in grad school, I focused more on um, GIS and the technology deployment of uh, of science, where I, I really found that that was my true calling. I, I had a real attachment to the technology. Um, and when I graduated grad school, I realized I just wanted to get any job where I could do GIS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, even in my GIS classes, there were there were far more women um, than my engineering classes, but there were still not many. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I did get my first job, it happened to be in the water industry. And that's when I started, I first started with uh, the utility industry. And again, I found the same thing. There weren't that many women and I found it became again, a real passion of mine to stick it out. And I could see how some women might be discouraged by that too, um, because I was definitely discouraged at times, wondering why there weren't more women in the field. Um, But I think that that just gave me a little bit more fuel to keep going. And then I realized that there's a lot of interesting things going on. And of course, uh, now working in the energy industry, it's just such an exciting time. And I've learned so much along the way there's so many, so many different ways to apply your knowledge. And again, that, that relentless pursuit of trying to find a better way to do things. Um, So that's really what's kept me around the utility industry. And I think that um, that'll keep me around, (laughs) that'll keep me around the industry for a long time. I think we have a lot of work to do and um, it's just really, it's an exciting place to be. Yeah, fantastic. Wow, it sounds amazing. And um, amazing that you were able to foresee um, that atmospheric sciences was going to be something that would be become such a big issue in the future and that you were able to kind of um, at that time craft your own major, which then later was was adopted by the school. I think that's um, very, very interesting and kind of a, a testament to your ability to see what's coming down the pipe. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And I, I don't want to take credit for um, <laughs> for creating the, the major at U of I, but I do think that, um, you know, it was at the, when I was pursuing that degree, it was becoming a more uh, it was a, a bigger and bigger topic. And I think um, right now, obviously, we're at this critical mass where it's one of the most important topics in um, really in the global economy as as well as our global livelihood and health. Um, so I think, you know, as much as I would love to say, you know, I uh, I pushed that to happen at my school. I think it was going that way anyway. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, and so you talked briefly about your experience of being um, one of the few women when you were at college um, and then also at work. Did you have any anything else you wanted to share about your experience of being a woman in a predominantly male-dominated industry? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think for, for any woman that works in – uh, male-dominated industry, um, we probably all have our own stories that we've had to get through. Um, and luckily for me, I have pretty thick skin, so I sort of 
let things bounce off me to some extent. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's helped me through is, is finding those champions uh, that I could always turn to for not only help in getting out of some of the the lower times, but also just advice um, in general to help me through my career. So I think the combination of both male and female um, champions has helped me make a lot of progress uh, for my own career. But, you know, I think that being a female and, you know, when you're sitting in a room with, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a, in a room sitting at a table of, you know, like-minded white males Mm -hmm. and, uh, they sort of all agree with each other until they've discredited every other opinion that might be (laughs) around, um, which, which is really unfortunate, but I think that, you know, it's also an exciting time because I think a lot of the diversity and inclusion topics are really coming to the forefront of discussions. And it's really heartening to see um, so many organizations taking that seriously and, and putting policies in place. And, you know, women from all backgrounds need to not only have a seat at the table, but also need to have their voice heard. Um, and, you know, in terms of just scientific creativity, considering opposing views has actually been proven to lead to more breakthroughs. I think there's a few studies about this actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But even I was just reading about this, that Einstein's theory of relativity actually came about because he was thinking paradoxically about how an object could be both in motion and at rest at the same time. So he was sort of trying to to confront a conflicting view of his own opinion and then came up with one of the greatest scientific breakthroughs of all time. Um, so I think that just, you know, hearing all different viewpoints will meaningfully lead to much more progress and creativity in any field that you're in. So, um, yeah, I really, I'm, I'm excited about what the future will bring, especially when, um, more females and a more diverse, uh, voice is heard uh, throughout every organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And did you have any other advice for women who might be looking to start or continue their career in utilities and energy? Definitely. I, I would just say, again, I think there's so much opportunity out there and uh, not to be discouraged if things don't necessarily go as planned, because I know almost nothing has gone as I planned throughout my career. I've had to readjust about a billion times. So I think that that's what's exciting about it though, is you can really carve your own path and do the things that you're interested in doing um, just because of all that opportunity in this field. So I would just say, you know, find your champions, seek out your mentors, ask for help and definitely don't be afraid to say you don't know something. I mean, some of the smartest people I know have the easiest time saying they don't know the answer to something. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in the utility industry, um, and especially coming from the energy side of things, there's just so much opportunity right now. I would strongly encourage, uh, whatever, whatever your interests are, you can find a fit. Fantastic. And you mentioned sponsors and champions and mentors. So is there is there anybody else who's helped you to get to where you are today or anybody that you'd like to call out? Yes, I'd 
I've been super lucky. Um, I've had some really fantastic supervisors. I've had some just people that I've worked with that have, for whatever reason, taken me under their wing and helped me, um, you know, provide opportunities. Um, And I will say that I pretty much said yes to every opportunity I was given, but I do think that there's reasons to say no at times. Um, and, and my best mentors have understood completely when I've turned down some of those opportunities. So, you know, I would say that both some male and female champions that have either been my supervisors or just people that I've worked with, uh, through the industry, um, I, I couldn't have made it anywhere without them. And I'm not going to call them out specifically by name, but I'm sure that they each know who they are. And I owe a lot of debt and gratitude to them uh, to have gotten me to where I am today. Oh, fantastic. And I'm curious, uh, Shannon, when you said there that there are reasons for why you would turn down opportunities, would you be willing to share a little bit about what some of those reasons have been? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'll just think of a a recent example. Um, When I, a few years ago, I was given an opportunity for some upward mobility and it was a really great opportunity. It was actually a huge advancement in, um, you know, my salary. Mm -hmm. And I was really excited to have even been considered. The only problem that I had is that it was in a totally different field than where I wanted to spend my time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I would say there, there wasn't a bad, there wasn't actually a wrong decision for me. I I had sort of a win-win situation. If I had accepted it, I would have been furthering my career. I would have been in a better position. Um, I would have had more opportunity, But also by saying no, I'm in the role that I have today, which um, has really been focused completely around my interests. And that's in, you know, digital tools and solutions and data and analytics. So um, I feel like, luckily looking backward, I feel confident that (laughs) I made the right decision. Um, But what I've always done in turning down an opportunity is explained how I'm going to turn that into a different opportunity. So even in Mm -hmm. saying no, I said, you know, I expressed such gratitude, but I also said, here's my future plan and the steps that I can take and why I think it will add more value. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was always received well, because it wasn't just a no, it was a description in how I'm in pursuit of another goal. And I think that that actually helped create the position that I have today. So it's easy to look back and say all that, <laughs> but um, I would hope that other people could do the same thing and and stick to the stuff that you really want to do, especially when you know that there's something coming on the horizon that could be related to that. That's really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. You've out- outlined there absolutely reasons why you would say no. So, Shannon, I'd like to ask a few questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Do you have a favorite book that you'd like to share with us? Well, right now, I'm actually looking for it. I'm sitting right next to me. Um, I'm reading this book that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, It's called Invisible Women, 
Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Um, it's by Caroline Criado Perez. Um, it's it's really eye opening, and I think that um, I think it's it's pretty popular right now. So I'm probably not the only person <laughs> reading it, but just understanding um, not only not only from a gender perspective, which of course is where where the book is focused on. It's it's focused on um, data bias in terms of gender, but I think of this pretty frequently in my position um, that. There is, there's certainly a bias in how you can do different types of analysis. And ultimately, someone that's writing an algorithm or um, defining a model and the parameters of that model, that's still a person making decisions. And therefore, there's a way for bias to be inserted into that analysis. And this has really been been coming up a lot. And I think, you know, in terms of ethical AI and explainable AI, I think we all, especially in um, the digital and analytical fields, we have a responsibility to understand some of those biases and how they could be affecting the type of work that we're doing. Um, So this book has really made me think about that a lot deeper and how it has impacted our society on a global scale um, up until today and looking back to see, you know, how could we have done things differently? And I think what I'd like to take away from this is how we can do things differently in the future. And especially in terms of, you know, energy, um, keeping a focus on our vulnerable communities and um, potentially disadvantaged communities and how we can make sure that there's equity in our analysis and um, just a level of understanding and explainability in the solutions that we're trying to provide. And who or what inspires you? Wow, Um, that's a great question. I think that there's a lot that inspires me. I think um, certainly my family, Um, you know, I have two kids, I have a, a daughter, who um, she lost her vision in one of her eyes, in her left eye. And just seeing her confidence and her her outlook, I mean, she's only four. Mm, wow. <laughs> but just seeing the way that she she views the world and even with um with the position that she's been, the, you know, the situation that she's been given. I think it's just really inspiring to not let things hold you back. And, you know, I find myself asking this question all the time is what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to, if you're trying to ask for something from your boss or, or look for a new opportunity, if, you know, if the worst case scenario, what is the worst that could possibly happen? And usually the answer to that is something so not, not important. (laughs) So I, I guess that, that usually helps me have the confidence and thinking about, you know, how others that I look up to, I mean, I look up to, I definitely look up to many people uh, that I work with in the utility industry. I mean, there's, there's people that are doing such meaningful things um, to make such meaningful change uh, across not only um, the organizations that they work in, but to make meaningful progress um, for global energy systems, um, just taking their outlook and being bold. 
that gives me fuel and fire to, to want to try to be as bold as, as I can be. Amazing. And if the listeners would like to know more or reach out to you. Yes, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn um, under Shannon Geegan Ketcher. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. Fantastic. And thank you so much for being on the show today, Shannon. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. I loved being here. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please take a moment to do so or leave me a comment letting me know your thoughts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.